0: Join us for a very special 4th of July episode where we examine the philosophical roots of the American order and how the present battles in the courts and halls of legislatures are nothing more than an attack on what Thomas Jefferson knew, that the liberties of a nation cannot be secured if we remove their only firm foundation, a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are the gift of God. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and with my good friend Gary Humble, this is the Freedom Matters Podcast.
1: Just the two of us, right? Yeah.
0: How appropriate. Yeah. It is just the two (laughs) of us today.
1: That's good because we're going to talk about
0: Grover Washington. (laughs) (laughs) It is a smooth song, though, right? And being that this is um, this we're going to have a special release, right, Gary? We're going to actually release this episode on the Fourth of July.
1: Yeah, special Independence Day, which is a Tuesday.
0: So what? I thought I'd put a little patriotic music in. It.
1: <laughs> that was that was such a smooth transition. <laughs> you know, we are just we are masters of transition here on the Freedom Matters podcast. Do you know what this is from? No subtlety here. Um, is this the Patriot? Yes. Yeah, Patriot. Who's composer, by the way? Ooh, now you you hurt me. I don't know. John Williams. Okay, well, of course. Yes, he composed every great symphonic yeah. soundtrack.
0: So that, that is the, that's the soundtrack
1: to my family's Fourth of July, The Patriot. My kids know John Williams is the guy who did Star Wars.
0: Yep. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how long he's. And John Williams is still living, right? I'm not sure. I
1: believe so, though. I think we would know if he wasn't. So it would, qui- it would be a pretty big deal.
0: Quiz question for you Gary, what popular music group in the 80s? 90s
1: oh their producer man pulled it up john john williams is 91 years old still wow. with us wow
0: so don't don't let him see anything else because i'm going to ask him a question here's your quiz qu- quiz question for the day it's not it does anything to do with patriotism
1: i already guessed two songs
0: <laughs> i know that's why i want to give you something harder <laughs> what is the name of john williams son who was the replacement lead singer for a very popular 80s 90s band uh, no clue <clears throat> joseph williams you okay. Know, do you know who Joseph Williams? Negative. Toto.
1: Really? Yeah. Okay. Joseph Williams was known by name, but I had no idea.
0: Yeah, he was brought in to replace Bob John Williams, Bobby son, Kimmel. huh? Mm-hmm. And now, when you look, when you look at Joseph Williams now, who's like in his probably he's probably like sixty, he kind of looks like his dad. Very interesting. Yeah. So there we go. So Gary, being that this is a Fourth of July episode, but also a a week following the Super Bowl of the Supreme Court, you know, every June they release a half dozen opinions on major issues. Do you want to talk about big picture philosophical American yeah, let's issues? Do let's
1: do that first. Okay, let's talk about the good stuff first, and then there's our, and then there's good stuff <clears throat> in the Supreme there's Court. There's some good stuff in the Supreme but Court, but there's there's not so good stuff in the Tennessee Court, yeah, federal court. One of the things that I wanted to hit on today, or at least just say up front, I was having a conversation couple of weeks ago with um dr alan Keyes, who's become a friend mm. over the last uh three years or so really great to have him in our state here in tennessee those of you who don't know that but former I think u.n ambassador and then uh presidential, presidential candidate yeah but just he's a this guy's a statesman i mean he's the real deal and um you know he mentioned how interesting he thought it was and he, and he he thinks there's it's with good reason at least on the side of the left. When we think about July 4th Independence Day, I mean what what should you be thinking about, right? What was signed in 1776? The, the Declaration the, of Independence, that's right. of course. But no one seemingly and I and I agree with him as we were having this discussion really talks about the Declaration of Independence anymore, even on Independence Day. We may talk about America or the Constitution even, which has absolutely really nothing to do with Independence Day, mm-hmm. except that it came afterwards. Seventeen eighty seven, yeah. Uh, into the nation that was birthed. But and and he thought with good reason you would want to ignore the declaration because we hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator. creator. With certain unalienable rights, and um, so it wasn't the government, Gary, that gave us these rights. That's right. That's right. It wasn't It wasn't the Constitution, right? It's not the president. It's not the courts. Mm-hmm. Certainly, even though we're going to talk about <laughs> Boy. the courts, the courts, I think, have
0: thought that they're the uh, endower
1: of those rights. But certainly, in today's day and age, we we definitely don't want Americans to consider the fact that their rights come from God. Not mm-hmm. from government. There, in fact, when you think about the declaration that we are endowed by our creator with inalienable rights, and we've said this oftentimes when we're out and about Tennessee stands or whether it's on the podcast, that our rights supersede government. Mm-hmm. And um, in fact, I think it's article, I, I'm, I'm going to misquote it. Or I'm not going to quote it, but it's Article 11, Section 16. I know that. Of our state constitution that says the rights that are declared in our Bill of Rights exist outside of the powers of the Mm -hmm. government. And our state constitution goes so far to say is here here are these rights guaranteed in the Bill of Rights, and those rights don't even exist within the powers of the government.
0: Yeah, they they form the premise or what we would call they pre-exist, they presuppose. The the document itself is is founded upon an understanding that these things pre-exist.
1: Yeah. To go further, the fact that they exist outside of the powers of government means you can't legislate them away. Yep. Right. You can't by a court order deemed to pretend that you can take them away Mm -hmm. by even some due process. Yep. You know. So it's um, I thought that part of our constitution again, which no one ever talks about, is pretty incredible. But I just really appreciate. The conversation I was having with, do- with Dr. Keyes, and, and I sort of wanted to set that as the preface today, mm-hmm. that it is the Declaration of Independence is the only reason that we are celebrating today.
0: And I would add, Gary, that to the extent people do mention the Declaration, it is usually limited to the piece of paper itself or the signing of it without any thought about what it is. That was being conveyed. And as you and I talked about last week, as we were thinking about um, this particular episode, you know, the Declaration is, if, if you are to compare the two documents, because they, they of course, are both expressed on paper, the Declaration and the Constitution, the Declaration is the philosophical foundation for then what is executed in in form and substance in the Constitution. The Constitution makes no sense. outside of the ideas that are expressed in the Declaration. And those are the grand ideas. The Constitution not only would not make sense, there would be no, when you go to talk through the the Federalist and the Anti-Federalist arguments during the ratification and pre-ratification of the Constitution, all of those arguments, again, presuppose the ideas that were set forth in the Declaration.
1: Right. Yeah, and the Constitution, I mean, you get... You get a structure and an order of government, mm-hmm. but you get nothing of the why yep. these things exist or were imposed. Right. And I and that's that's what we're lacking. I I it's it's disheartening. I, I think if you would go out on the street today and do sort of a man on the street interview and you ask someone, where do your rights come from? Without question, <laughs> nine out of ten of those people, if they even have a logical answer would say the constitution would be the first thing that Mm, comes out of their mouth yeah
0: and if not that they would say the supreme courts or or government and if they did say it would still be an error if they said our rights come from the declaration because that's not what we're saying that's right the declaration expresses the Mm -hmm. fact that our rights come from outside of that being god who made us very very important in fact as you pointed out in your conversation with Alan Keyes, which, by the way, if anybody looks up Alan Keyes today, I swear that he looks exactly the same as he did 30 years ago when he ran for president. <laughs> when I had the privilege of meeting him, Gary, at your event a year and a half ago um, in Chattanooga, Cleveland, Tennessee area, I-, I told him as much. I'm like, you, <laughs> Dr. Keyes, you haven't aged since I saw you on television <laughs> when I first moved to Nashville. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And what was – one of the things that came out of that conversation even, it's not just the premise of the declaration in terms of pointing to the fact that the source of our rights are, are the why, right, behind uh, this this revolution and this formation of a new government is the creator. But there's another there's another reason you would – today you would not want people to go back to the declaration. And it's, it's the grievances, right? Mm. Again, which – you know we typically read the uh you know we hold these truths to be self-evident part but right. but very rarely do you go down into the list of grievances again, yeah. again though why why were these people so determined why why was it that they had had enough right because well, these grievances Kevin some of them seem eerily sim- similar maybe to some of the things we're facing today as a people
0: well and there's something that should be said about that <clears throat> because those grievances, you know, Thomas Jefferson and four others, Ben Franklin, John Adams, and I always forget the other two, when they were drafting the Declaration, <clears throat> Jefferson had a framework from pre-existing documents, so even the grievances themselves were not new, which shows you the—C.S. <laughs> Lewis used to say tyrants are incredibly boring because they resort to the same tricks and tactics— Generation to generation. So the fact that we're able to find, and we'll go through some of them, grievances from 250 years ago, which are similar to grievances that we could raise today, it's it's fascinating to me that those grievances themselves from 250 years ago were also not original. In large part, they were derived from what had happened you know, generations before Thomas Jefferson. So as brilliant as Jefferson was, he wasn't creating out of whole cloth. He was borrowing from his ancestors.
1: The fact was they had simply finally had enough, Mm -hmm. which begs the question in 2023, when will we have enough? When will we have enough? You want to make a couple of those comparisons?
0: Yes. And I I always like to start with what happened in the Obama administration, because this is Really, when we, start, when we began to see externally what had been happening and bubbling under for 100 years with the left, um, President Obama was the face, the public face of the progressive, regressive left, and he started to say things that nobody had said before because he was in the position of the presidency, and he was a, he was a Marxist, and he was the first openly Marxist president. He, he wouldn't have called himself that, but all of his policies and principles drove that. And Gary, I remember being at an event in 2010 in Nashville with uh, former Attorney General Ed Meese from the Reagan administration, who began going through these grievances, and he pointed out the very first one um, and how relevant it was to what was happening at the border. I'll let you read it, and then uh, we'll analyze it a little bit from then, and we can say why it's still relevant today. You want to read the first grievance?
1: He has refused to assent to laws the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. And he has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance, unless suspended in their operation, till his assent should be obtained. And when so suspended, he has utterly neglected to attend to them.
0: Right. So Ed Meese put this on the table and said, this is exactly what is happening. I forget the name of the case in Arizona. Remember, Jam Brewer was the governor of Arizona at that time. And we had the invasion of the border. It was just coming then. It wasn't as great as it is now, but we saw it was it was a harbinger of things to come. And the Obama administration took the position before the Supreme Court against these border governors who were legitimately trying everything within their power to stop the invasion of the border. And the federal government was coming in saying, nope, this is our right only. Uh, you You as the states don't have the right to do these things. And if you pass any laws or if you do have the right, we're going to suspend those uh, to prevent you from being able to secure your borders. And this is going on in even greater degree today, as um, Ken Cuccinelli explained a couple weeks ago. Prior to the last 20 years, border states always protected their borders. They And the federal government never got in the way. It was, <laughs> it was not only their right constitutionally, but it was common sense. Everybody assumed, of course, you're going to protect your borders. But it's interesting that the invasion of borders has always been a plan of an enemy who's trying to destroy a country, right, to destroy its sovereignty. This didn't just start today. It was the same kind of problem that we had even back when our country was first founded.
1: Interesting on that note, too, just side note, I saw a bunch of videos coming across my feed on Twitter today from France. Mm. I mean, just outright chaos. Mm-hmm. And the conversation there is that recently I think France has opened its borders. and the folks that are coming into France decidedly have not been very interested in assimilating. Mm. And so surprise, na- And surprise. so now there's all these videos coming. there's all out brawls in the in the street because they're now fighting for their culture. yeah in France. Well, that's what you get when you don't have a nation anymore. That's what you get when you open your borders. And that's the when you have no more national identity. That's right, and that's
0: chaos that is intentional by those who would want to destroy sovereignty uh, during the revolution or or prior in the in the period leading up to the war for independence. Um, Our adversary, the the king and Parliament, were trying to weaken our border from the north through Canada. Um, Obviously, we didn't have. Louisiana, your home state, right? That was French controlled. Mm-hmm. Uh, Florida was under control of the Spanish. Heck, mm-hmm. we hadn't even gone west of the Mississippi. So that was, um, you know, Spain was uh, in California. But the attempt, there, there's another grievance which we can get to the attempt to change laws in a neighboring province, establishing therein arbitrary government, right? Just made up and enlarging its boundaries so as to render it at once an example and fit instrument for introducing the same absolute rule into these colonies that's how tyrants operate right they if they if they can't attack the the core from the middle let's go and put a um, an arbitrary government really close by a friend right communist to the north Canada and see if we can't destroy them by suggesting oh you know in Canada they agree with these things in Canada they put pastors in jail in Canada they you know censor and and uh, remember when whats his name I was I'm glad I forget his name, but who's the who's the communist leader of Canada? The little guy?
1: Oh, Trudeau.
0: Yeah, Trudeau. <laughs>
1: the little guy? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, he's like the little version of his dad. His dad was at least, his dad wasn't good, but he wasn't nearly as aggressive and outwardly communist as Trudeau. So remember when Trudeau shut down the truckers? Right.
1: And Turned off their bank accounts? Yeah,
0: turned off their bank accounts, shut down the access to anyone who was raising money for them. You know, that kind of treatment is then used by people in our country to say, see, our neighbors to the north, they can do it there. These people sometimes underestimate the power of what a neighbor does for good or for bad. On the other hand, if if Canada championed freedom, if they weren't a communist leading country as they are now, that would in- encourage freedom here. Right. That's that that was what the Monroe Doctrine was about, protecting the Western Hemisphere, which is all gone to heck in a handbasket now because communist China controls almost all of the Western Hemisphere below our southern border.
1: Interesting too. I want to bring another modern example to that point of you know creating laws in a neighboring province or what I like creating a new body of, of governance. Mm-hmm. You know, we just did that. We are tried to do that a couple of years ago here in Tennessee. Do you remember the bill that was submitted to the legislature called Region Smart? That oh, yeah. purported to create a three-state region that had its own self-appointed mm-hmm. governing body that had powers supra the state legislatures to sign contracts and debt the region even with foreign governments and foreign entities. Yes. I mean, and, and, and of course, all of that was being put together under the guise. The, the carrot dangling on the stick was federal funding. Mm-hmm. If the states would have gotten together and created this they call regions smart, well, they get all of this federal funding right for infrastructure projects. Yeah. That was the incentive. But how I mean, we're seeing some of this same stuff today. Another one caught my eye. For suspending our own legislatures and declaring themselves invested with power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever, does that sound familiar, Kevin? Have we done that recently? <laughs> Sus- Have we suspended our legislative <laughs> powers in the in the in the recent three years? Oh boy, years?
0: how do we unpack that? You know, if it, it, I feel like that, Gary is a box. You know the um, what's that little game you play as a kid? You. Uh, jack-in-the-box Jack you, you know the pressure you're feeling it when you're getting to the end mm-hmm. pop goes a weasel i feel like we open that subject there's so much legislative work legislative responsibility that has been suspended all because of fear of a virus
1: yeah and you and i haven't talked about this yet but i just released a video today someone sent me an article enlighten me to this, Um, it was an article written on Blaze Media by Daniel Horowitz. There is a uh, model legislation being written right now by the Uniform Law Commission, uh, the ULC out of Chicago, that is encouraging all 50 states to adopt a new Emergency Powers Act in light of COVID to prepare us for the next pandemic that substantially enlarges the powers of the executive in all 50 states allows governors to renew emergency powers with no check every 90 days and allows them powers to quarantine to test to use medic to whatever surveillance, all of this is in the- relocation of individuals. yeah, all, the, all, all of that <clears throat> all, all the, the things we've been fighting against.
0: all the things they tried to do now they which I don't know if you mentioned it because I haven't seen your video. A lot of this came out of um, the Chinese version of the the World Economic Forum's event in China, right? So they do in Davos every winter. They do their summer event in China. And the I believe he's the health secretary, someone can correct me if I'm wrong about his title, of Great Britain, who actually was videotaped apologizing to the people for COVID, but not for locking them down or making them wear masks or making them take jabs. He apologized for not being more aggressive in locking them down sooner. He he actually apologized for deaths, almost like he was confessing to murders, but his reason was I didn't act, we didn't act fast enough. We didn't lock you down tight enough, and that's the Chinese model. Yep. And that's that's what's working its way into any kind of any kind of supra uh, what do you call it? super powerful globalist type response to it. It's frightening.
1: Yep. So we would encourage all of you listening to this podcast, make sure as you're as you're celebrating July 4th and, and we're we're celebrating Independence Day. Go back and read the Declaration of Independence and and not just the, you know, in the course of human events and we hold these truths to be self-evident, but go beyond, right? And read this list of grievances read the complete declaration read the why read the circumstances that were surrounding these men and women in the colonies as to why they chose to stand up for liberty for their families and to their posterity it's it's critical and i would challenge you as you read through these grievances Think through, think through what we've been going through here in America over the last few decades, really. But even think through right now what's happening at the border, what happened during COVID, and um, con- consider the decisions that these men and women made in prayer, right, subject to a mm-hmm. Creator, to to form a country to defend what individual liberty, right? And um, can with,
0: I can I add something though? Yeah, that grievance that you were referencing. The very next grievance says, and, and and think of this now in terms of what happened in 2020 throughout our country, summer of 2020, right? BLM, Seattle, Portland. He has plundered our seas, ravaged our coasts, burnt our towns, and destroyed the lives of our people.
1: Yep. Yeah. We had some town it's, burning going yeah, on. Yeah, It's, again. Which they allowed to happen. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Again, tyrants are incredibly boring because they do the same thing. And, Gary, to your point, at the end, if you look at the Declaration structurally, the beginning and the end of the document, before and after the grievances, are, again, the why, and then the grievances set forth. But you're right, I think, just as—it's all important. But the end of it is super important because of the courage that these men were actually putting their lives on the line by signing their name.
1: (laughs) Our lives, our fortunes, fortunes and and our our sacred sacred honor. honor.
0: Yeah, it's— it's an inspiring document. It's an, a document that uh, prior to 2010, I hadn't spent enough time with, but I, I forced, <laughs> my children will probably say that, I forced them all <laughs> to memorize the Declaration. Uh, we put some of it to song, and uh, it takes about 10 to 12 minutes to recite at a good pace. And my, the only the only downside, Gary, about memorizing it as a whole like that is sometimes I can't extract what I want from the— I can't remember the middle parts unless I do it in sequence. Right. So i got to go through the whole thing to get there. Oh, yeah, so it takes me five minutes to get to the <laughs> the part that I want to talk
1: about. So with that, I think we should get to a, a couple of the things that happened, I think, last week mm-hmm. in the Supreme Court. Yes,
0: the U.S. Supreme Court Super Bowl week. So We've I, had a
1: few of those, though. We've had a few Super Bowl <clears> weeks over the last— Year or so, interestingly. Yeah,
0: and, and it all started last year, right? With the with the Roe v. Wade overturning, right? Re- returning this the power to the states to decide on the issue of abortion. <clears throat> that kind of started a a very active year um, by the left in their continued onslaught against ordered liberty. But this year, I. There's some really good stuff that came out of the U.S. Supreme Court and some really bad stuff. But let's talk about the good stuff first because then I want to put it in the framework of the bad stuff. <clears throat> There's a case called 303 Creative versus Alenis, I think, or Elenis. And that case was 6 3, basically, the conservatives, if you consider Roberts a conservative, that's <laughs> <laughs> right. The 6 3, uh, the, the, and this opinion was drafted by Neil Gorsuch, and <clears throat> I would highly, re- highly recommend that you read it because it's 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 well done and it's kind of fiery, which we've we've tended to see from Gorsuch lately. Yep. Right. But <clears throat> that case was essentially about protecting the right of creative individuals. to. They were allowed to refuse. The subject of that case was a web designer who did not want to make a website for a same sex wedding. And if you want to know how successful that case was for us and our side, just read what MSNBC and CNN and all the New York Times, they declare that now the LGBTQ alphabet people are second-class citizens because they can't make you, Gary. They can't make you agree with them. They can't make you create things to endorse their ideas.
1: Oh, they well, they can just plaster posters and billboards and make me watch every damn commercial, you know, that they, yeah. they put out there in front of my children, you know. S- second we, class citizen. Can't citizens. watch TV anymore, but but they're the second class citizen. Really? Yeah. Everything
0: was Can't walk see. in Target. Can't I, go anywhere. Yeah, I'm I'm out of options, right? Oh. And if you're a Bud Light drinker, you can't drink Bud Light. No. So So that was good. There was also another similar case because it protected religious liberty. And it was a unanimous decision, which is rare from the Supreme Court considering the divert, like the intellectual diversity of that body. But a U.S. postal worker uh, who was a Christian did not want to work on Sundays, right? Never, never a problem historically, but in recent years, government thought, well, we can make him do that and businesses can make him do that. Well, no, the Supreme Court decided unanimously that they have to respect— <laughs> Basically putting it back into the Constitution, saying, no, you do have to respect the Constitution. You do have to respect religious exercise, provided there is no—it doesn't create an undue or unfair burden. Where right. you think of the millions of employees of the post office, I would imagine maybe a thousand or a couple thousand might want to, you know—and maybe if it's a hundred thousand still. The court said, no, that's not enough. This man wants to take off Sunday because he's a Christian? Absolutely, there's not there's not a problem for him to do that. Um, so that was a really good news case, right?
1: Yeah, because well, and I think <clears> the reasoning there would be, it's not an undue burden to give your employee a day off. Like you can't make them work seven days a week. That's that, or, that's unreasonable.
0: Well, especially when it's for religious purposes, right? And it's and it was actually more broad than that. But that's that's the gist of that one. And the the important part is, is that it was nine, nothing. So there's nothing the left could say like, Oh, the conservative, the, the Republican appointed judges, you know, allowed this to happen.
1: It's pretty huge. in, in the expansion of continuing to protect, um, you know, the, actually that, that ruling makes me think about this bill that continues to fail here in Tennessee. For example, this year in protecting someone's right by religious exemption to refuse a vaccine mm-hmm. as a condition of employment. Mm-hmm. And the, the argument from the quote unquote uh, conservative Republicans in the committee was that, oh no, you know, businesses can force an employee to do whatever they want, and if they don't like it, they can go get a job somewhere else. That's freedom. Well, that's not what the Supreme Court is saying here. Yeah, I think I think that's a great comparison in terms of, you know, honestly, is it is me refusing to take a shot? To to inject something into my body, is that placing an undue burden on the business? No, it's not at all. I don't think so.
0: <clears throat> yeah, so I think I think we'll see that case. It's a great comparison. cited, yeah.
1: absolutely cited.
0: Um, another case we're going through these fairly quickly is the affirmative action case, which again was six three, the same six versus the same three.
1: Um, I wonder what Justice Katanji thought about that in that case. <laughs> Like isn't she there because of affirmative action? Yes, in B- fact, Biden's promise to put a, a, a black female on the court, like literally, literally, that's why she's there. Yes,
0: and I forgot she had a she had an she had a quote worthy statement, and I don't have that in front of me because I was actually going to go a different direction with I it. I
1: stole that, by the way, from the Babylon Bee. That was that was their post. Oh, was it? That, <laughs> yes. that
0: how they said. Okay, yeah. I forget what her her comment was too. She just it was stunning, but. The Supreme Court, I think the most interesting part of this affirmative action case is that, um, so the Epic Times today, which is Friday, June 30th, when we're recording, put out a piece saying that this um, refusal, uh, the Supreme Court saying that the University of North Carolina and Harvard University could not make uh, admission decisions based on race is going to have potentially huge implications against the whole DEI that businesses are doing. Yes, Because the only protection... The, the only reason that we had such aggression um, among the corporations under DEI is they felt that they, they had kind of a fig leaf of protection as long as the schools were getting away with it. Even though the law prior to this specifically was limited to education institutions, right. corporations kind of thought, well, we can borrow from that. Well, there's a lot of lawyers who even before this this holding came were already beginning to rethink how are we going to respond now that they've basically exposed people are going to use this case against us saying you definitely can't e- the only place you could do it previously was maybe in school admissions you could never do it in corporations now they've said you can't even do it in school admissions therefore it's going to affect the dei now does that mean they're going to give up and say oh woes, we, we lost of course not yep. right they're democrats what's interesting to me gary is that on the school front, the way that they think they're going to get around it is instead of making it specifically by race, they're going to limit by zip code and geographic location how many students
1: they accept. So, so they're going to gerrymander. They're yes. going to redline.
0: They're basically going to redline. And, yeah. And gerrymander where— They're so, going to
1: they're going to opposite right of redline. They're yeah. going to redline the white folks out. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So if you live in the zip code of um, like where I grew up in Titusville, Pennsylvania— uh, let's see. One, six, three, five, four was the zip code. Well, our hometown had 7,800 people. And I think there were 11 black people and maybe, you know, four or five Asians. And the rest of us were, you know, white.
1: That's yeah. just the way it was. Yeah, it was. You live in that zip code. You yeah, ain't getting I'd in. Pro-
0: yeah. Probably only accepting one person, right. you know, per decade into Harvard from that jurisdiction. So that's, that's how they'll try to get around that.
1: But I, I feel like the Supreme Court's already ruled on something like that, you know, having to do with mortgages and things like that back in the day. Yeah, and yeah.
0: they've also ruled on that. Gosh, just this session, Gary, having to do with voting rights, right? Really? Yeah. The Supreme <clears throat> earlier in the week, the first of the, uh, we could say the first quarter of the Super Bowl, they released the, um, the cases saying basically that Republican legislatures do not have the authority <clears throat> to redraw these districts. Now this. This is probably the most important, unfortunately. We've got good news on religious liberty. We have good news on affirmative action, meaning there can't be affirmative action now. In those, can't discriminate. Right. And and you cannot uh, force a person to create something that violates his to or her violate beliefs. violate their
1: religiously held beliefs. Yep, or any beliefs, for yep. that matter.
0: Not, but all of that falls within the framework of this. The Supreme Court has... Not surprisingly, determined that it is still the final arbiter of election law, because they've said even even though the Constitution says that state legislatures right. are the authority, it's it's plain and simple. There's no exception as far as determining uh, the election requirements. The Supreme Court says, well, that still does not mean that the courts, federal courts, do not have normal judicial review. Therefore, removing the ultimate power from the legislature and reserving it to the court.
1: Kevin, this is, this is Marbury versus Madison. I would, this I, is 1803, baby. I, I knew you were going to say it. And making it up, just making it up.
0: They, they cannot give up that power. And so what that does, unfortunately, <clears throat> is it means that all of the rights and all of the freedoms that we have secured by their other decisions can all go away because they can manipulate the elections. And if you can put people in power who say, you know what? That 9 nothing Supreme Court decision no longer matters. That 6-3 affirmative action decision no longer matters because the people that we have selected, right, with an election system that is inherently unfair now because legislatures cannot decide, meaning the people can't decide, the courts get to decide, Well, and, it puts all those freedoms at risk.
1: And correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that completely contradictory to what they did in 2020— or was at the beginning of 2021 when the Supreme Court told Texas that it did not have standing to challenge the election, and and I think if I recall the the ba- and it was Texas plus like another 16 states, yes, 17 and, total. And the basis is the reason that Texas did not have standing to challenge the election results is because each state legislature was was in charge of its own election results, yeah. and so what right. What standing, what right did Texas have to challenge Pennsylvania's election? That's right, Wasn't that sort of the basis?
0: I think you're right.
1: So they're completely now by this – they're reversing their own premise for denying the right of a state previously to challenge a federal election. So I I would say under this Supreme Court ruling, now those states have every right per this new precedent to challenge any future election. Yeah, it's – Which could be dangerous. It's, by the way.
0: it just when that case came out which was early in the week it's funny how they release them too right <clears throat> the Supreme Court has known for months not only what they've decided but how they're going to release the opinions it's interesting to me <clears throat> they release the first couple opinions and everybody on the left is woo and then they release the rest of the opinions everybody on the right is woo
1: <clears throat> yeah <laughs>
0: <clears throat> but it, 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 I don't know why they do it in that sequence <clears throat> but I still think the most significant, unfortunately, is that case giving the courts judicial review of what the states decide, t- thereby taking—I mean, this, this is the true battle between the powers of who made the judges ultimate, Right. The judges.
1: The judges. You said they it, made right? Marbury vs. Madison,
0: right? right? It's, it, they made themselves the judges. So the only way to respond to that is going to be this conflict. that You can't go to the judges to resolve that conflict. This has to be a fight of some sort, but it's certainly not a normal fight within the— um, I mean, this is what leads to wars, <laughs> right? This is what leads to breakdowns and chaos of countries.
1: I've I'll said, I'll said this before. I'll never forget, <laughs> and no one should ever forget, in the Dobbs decision, when we overturn Roe v. Wade, in that decision, a comment was made on this is on record from Justice Sotomayor, who acknowledged that the power of judicial review was not in the Constitution and bragged about the fact that the court was able to reason within itself. To create this new power mm-hmm. in Marbury versus Matt. I think you had a sitting court justice, sitting Supreme Court justice that acknowledged from the bench that the power she was using, that the court is using, was not found in the Constitution that they derived. They derived judicial review from unconstitutionally using the power of judicial review.
0: By the way, when did that come? When did you say that? We talked about that maybe a year ago. Yeah, it was six it, or nine months. It ago.
1: was it was in the. So this was maybe like three months before the ruling. This was this was during oh, oral okay. arguments. This was during oral arguments before the ruling came down for Dobbs.
0: See, so here we are a year later.
1: I captured it live on C-SPAN.
0: So it's been a year since we've talked about that.
1: Yeah, it <clears throat> seems like yesterday.
0: That's exactly what was echoing in my mind. When I heard about this other opinion, <clears throat> because it felt like I was, I don't have it. I should have pulled it up before we got recording today, but the language they use, if you go and just read even around the caption in some of the news stories, <clears throat> the judge says, and I forget which juror, I, for, I think Roberts might've written this opinion. <clears throat> he said, notwithstanding the fact that the constitution says this, that state legislators <laughs> are Yeah, notwithstanding,
1: yeah, meaning says, it doesn't,
0: they don't escape normal judicial review. It's like it doesn't say that.
1: So he said it again. Yeah. He confirms Sotomayor's prior statement. Exactly.
0: So they're definitely trying to build precedent in this judicial review and judicial
1: power. Well, kind of in these in these final moments, I want to go to the the Tennessee federal courts now in in Middle Tennessee. Uh, Again, second, you know, second challenge. and, And we failed yet again. I think it's worth noting people People are getting pissed off that I'm pointing this out, you know. And, but whatever, you can get mad. But it's a Trump-appointed judge, twice, right. two times. I, it, and you know, I'm not. Can I ask you who are they mad at? Well, they're mad at me. They're mad at me because did you I, appoint the judge? No, but I, oh, but I'm hating on <laughs> Trump, Kevin. Why is that Trump's fault? He appointed him. <laughs> You know, I, whose fault is it? I don't know. Well, it's the, it's the Federalist Society's fault because, you know, he's taking advice, which, you know, I, I get. It's a reasonable argument. But whatever. It my, my bigger point there, though, is what I continue to say. We are not fighting the left mm-hmm. here in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. We're not fighting the left. Hear me. Stop blaming Biden. Stop yapping about the Democrats. In Tennessee, we're not losing to the left. We're losing to Republicans. Yep that's why we keep losing so you had one trump appointed judge in memphis. Uh, in memphis that overturned the drag performance bill <laughs> saying that you know adults have a first amendment right to shake their goodies in front of kids apparently and now you have a middle tennessee trump appointed republican judge who says that parents have a 14th amendment right to mutilate their child that's that is insane to me but what what i will say the most dangerous thing about, contrary to um, the Supreme Court ruling that that is reaffirming these uh, the rights to have religious beliefs, right? This judge in Middle Tennessee affirms the transgender as a what he calls quote a quasi suspect class. Mm-hmm. And that quasi-suspect class is the court's way of creating a yep. protected class outside of congressional action. Mm-hmm. They use that term whenever they are creating a protected class themselves, yep. outside of the, of the legislative power of the people. And so this judge actually, in his ruling, made being transgender a protected class. Mm-hmm. He even went so far as to say— he created two classes of minors minors and transgender minors and that the law passed in Tennessee that says you can't perform mutilation surgeries on minors well the problem that he has there is you are discriminating against transgender minors and so the supreme this is going to go to the supreme mm-hmm. court and now the scotus is going to have to make a decision are we going to make transgenders a protected class or not. But I will say the no matter what they decide, the court has no power to do this. And I will say ooh, I'm 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 no I'm gonna say it. Damn this judge for legislating from the federal bench and pretending that he has some supra sovereign authority to override an action of a state legislature to protect minors in our own state and using powers he's making up from the federal bench to do it.
0: And when you talk about <clears throat> creating a protected class, Gary, going back to those Supreme Court cases, that was exactly the language that Sotomayor used in her dissent to the, um, uh, what did I name that case? <clears throat> the case that was 6-3, uh, that protected the web designer, the Christian web designer, right. from being obligated to create something against her religious views. Sotomayor said, now we're discriminating against a, quote, protected class. Yeah. So, you know, you can see it's it's not unplanned. There's a tension yeah. in the court. Yeah, and there's a plan to use this language over and over again in dissents and wherever they can in, even when they're in the majority, <clears throat> in states and, and federal districts. If they use this language enough, they're hopeful that it will become a protected class, right? Right. Very, very dangerous business. I do have a legislative question about that for you, though. So why do you think now that we've had two—these were the two seminal cases from the last legislative session, right?
1: These were the cases that are supposed to make our legislature look conservative.
0: Yeah. So, (laughs) So. Gary, why were these poorly drafted and— You know, sometimes I don't know the details, but you do because you're involved in in the fights downtown. But was there other legislation that would have been better and would have been protected us against this legal challenge better?
1: Yeah, I you know that there is speculation going around. I'll say this. um, Could it have been drafted better? Sure, I suppose. uh, Probably you could say that about almost every piece of legislation. And clearly, you know, could we have averted some of these comments from the court, I guess? What, what what's concerned? What I will say that are well t- twofold. Did did members of the legislature and the folks who carried these bills pass these with the intent that they would get struck down in court? I don't think so. I really don't. As much as I dislike some of the folks that ran these bills, I I don't I don't think that was the intention of the legislature. However, however, on the Drag performance bill. You know, they passed, what was it, HB 11, I believe, or H- HB 9. They passed HB 9, the bill that got struck down in court on the First Amendment, but they did not, the, the House passed, but the Senate, uh, it failed in committee, refused to pass HB 30, which on, I believe, on that issue would have put the nail in the coffin. And had The court struck down HB9, HB30 would still be active, which simply would have required any business that wanted to have one of these performances to obtain an adult entertainment license. And uh, there's a lot of speculation that that bill, certainly because of the licensing scheme involved, would have held up in court. So I will say, interesting, they passed one to accomplish the goal, but refused to pass the other, which was supposed to be the nail in the coffin. All right. And that was done by the Senate. I will say on the child mutilation bill side, worth noting, again, we talked about this the moment this bill was filed. This wasn't a surprise. Matt Walsh didn't, you know, let us know something that nobody knew about. The legislature already knew for two years that Vanderbilt was doing these Mm -hmm. surgeries. And for two years, there were bills submitted in the legislature that would have put a stop to this that was a bill submitted by Janice Bowling, mm-hmm. senator out of Tullahoma. And I'll say this cuz I actually ta- I talked to her about this yesterday. Or we texted. Her bill was modeled after a law that has already passed 2 years ago, I guess, in North Carolina. That that bill in North Carolina has already passed the muster of the courts. Mm. So my my question is: So why didn't why? we pass that bill that had already been sitting in the legislature for two years? Why did we create a new one that now, interestingly, has been struck down in the court? We, and
0: think about it in this context. We we always talk about how Tennessee is bringing in model legislation from other states, right? Yeah. Uh, UCC issues. Did, That's Central what they Bank always want to do. Digital currency, right? Stay,
1: well, and, they, and they say, well, because we want to stay out of court. Yeah. That's always their excuse. Well, they had an opportunity. So here you have
0: a perfect opportunity, something that has already passed the muster of the court, right? And they didn't just model the language after that. Hmm.
1: hmm. Yeah. So call me suspicious, Gary. So you know, and those are those are facts. That that's not conjecture. Those statements are facts. Now, what the intention was, I can't say.
0: I, I will end with this, and since we began with a declaration, <clears throat> a philosophical comment. This is why we can never place our trust in judges, right? We would have thought, notwithstanding people getting upset on uh, with you for pointing out the fact that these two judges are Trump appointees, the fact of the matter is you can't place your trust in a judge. You can't place your trust in governors. You can't place your trust in legislatures, right? You presidents. Can't, presidents. You can't place your trust in... In the Constitution itself, because it's words on a piece of paper. If you don't...
1: That need to be enforced by individuals.
0: Yeah, and enforced by individuals who believe what? Who believe the ideas that were set forth in the Declaration. That's right. If we don't have a commitment to those beliefs, then everything else is superficial, it's discarded, it's ignored... And that's what we're seeing play out in our culture today. We're seeing judges that ignore the paper. We're seeing legislatures that ignore the piece of paper or reinterpret it because they have abandoned, Gary, the ideas of our founders as beautifully
1: expressed in our Declaration of Independence. And thank God for the men in 1776 who had the fortitude to write it and to stand firm on it. Mm -hmm. God bless you. Amen.
0: If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit tennesseestands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. As Thomas Paine reminded us, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it.